0: This morning uh, we're going to be talking about discipleship and I'm going to be talking specifically about making by making disciples and uh, some of the greatest words that uh, Jesus ever spoke uh, on this time here is these last few words and I uh, just want to talk about the idea of embodying what Jesus said uh, to those disciples that day so Verse 16 says this, Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. We know it had to be a great worship service because some doubted. Anytime God's moving great worship service, there's always got to be some in the crowd that's critical or doubting, so we know things must have been pretty good. Uh, Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, pretty plain, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come to you, and God, we are thankful, uh, Lord, that you have given us the privilege, uh, God, to make disciples. Uh, God, I know uh, for some they think it's um, just a simple request, Uh, but Lord, it's life changing. Uh, God, not only for the ones who are participating in making disciples, but for the ones who are becoming uh, disciples. So help us be a church, uh, Lord, that is all about making disciples, uh, not about attendance, not about programs, not about all the things that we think make church successful, but that we are absolutely known for making disciples who make disciples. And God, help us see Your Word today very clearly. Help us obey it uh, with great intention. And Father, today, if there's someone in here who does not know You as a as their personal Lord and Savior, my prayer is that today. Uh, that the Holy Spirit would draw them to you, and that, God, they would come. And, Lord, uh, repent, turn from their sins, and by faith trust you. And, God, uh, start the process of what it looks like to be a follower, a disciple of you. And, uh, Lord, we praise you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, some of the most important words Jesus really ever said is these words, go therefore and make disciples. And then what's good is he lays out the plan uh, for them, a plan with a purpose, a plan with a promise, and a plan with power. Uh, and I love their response because oftentimes in the church we we have to think things over, you know, we got to pray about it, we got to get a group of people to have a time of just kind of looking at it will it work will it not work should we be involved man they just like jumped in right they said yes lord okay Uh, and he gives them instructions we know in acts to to go and wait on the holy spirit to come and and they would be these witnesses and and how just they they and just took it and said yes and so these men, though, were ordinary men. I mean, you think about it. On a regular day, Jesus just comes walking by. You see the count in the Gospels. He comes walking by, and he simply says to these men, Hey, uh, drop your nets and follow me, and you'll become fishers of men. And the Bible says immediately that they, they did that. And it completely changed their lives. Nets dropped. Uh, they left their homes and... For three and a half years, they followed Jesus. Um, And in just a few short years, they were literally accused in Acts 17 of turning the world upside down. What an accusation. Have you ever been accused in the name of Jesus for his cause of turning anything upside down? I mean, these men were literally being arrested and beaten and charged because they were turning the world upside down. And I believe Jim Elliott catches it in a quote that he says, and he says this, Oh, that God would make us dangerous. We need some believers today that will be dangerous for the gospel. Some people that'll stand up, some people that'll stand against, some people that'll speak with boldness and not worry about what the popular culture says and just simply say, God told me to make disciples, and I'm going to go with everything I have, and I'm going to do it. Uh, They were called disciples. Simply put, a student, and apprentice, sounds simple enough, but it'll change your life completely. It'll it'll absolutely turn your life, your world, upside down. And the whole point of a disciple is to imitate the person that is discipling them. So for three years, we know that Paul spent time in the Arabia Desert with Jesus. Jesus, for three years, was discipling Paul. Paul comes out. I've always said i liked like to have been the first person that met him after spending three years in the desert with Jesus. I mean, he was probably so excited. They were like, whoa, slow down, brother. But just think about that. And so Paul, in the words, says, imitate me as what? I imitate Christ. What he's saying is it is impossible to be discipled by someone or to walk that close to someone and not imitate or look or be like that person somewhere in the journey along the way the church has bought this idea that you can be a Christian and not be like Christ a follower who doesn't follow is what it is and we've bought this idea that hey I just come down I say a prayer I joined a church and just miraculously I'm going to have this big mansion hanging out in heaven with Jesus. And we don't see that all through the New Testament that we are told to look like Christ. D.L. Moody says Christianity without discipleship is always Christianity without Christ. So these men were imitating. They were just doing what they had been taught, what they had seen. Uh, John covers it in 1 John. He says, man, we declare unto you that which we have seen, that which we have heard, that which we have handled, and we want to declare that to you because we want your fellowship to be with us as we fellowship uh, with Christ and he fellowships with the Father. So as disciples, I want us to think about this. Um, we're not consumers shopping for the best product. Consumer Christianity, you can look it up online, you'll look for days, is the Americanized brand of extra-biblical gospel with self at the center. The come-and-see model of ministry we've adopted over the past hundred years has produced several generations of Christians who assume that church is about them, for them, and because of them. So it comes down to catering, and then it comes down to their comfort. And what this does is this leads a Christian culture that is about selling a product instead of embodying a mission. So it's the idea when you come, and we've had this happen many times, I've had it lots of times over the years. People come, and it's basically, what do you have to offer us? Do you have a great a children's program? Do you have a a thriving student ministry? Uh, What do you have to offer us? Do you have like a coffee shop with full-time baristas? I mean, all these things. What do you have to offer me? And it's never about, hey, God told me to come and be a part of this body because I want to embody a mission that will make disciples for Jesus Christ. It's very, very seldom that people walk into the doors of a church and say, what can I do for you. So we've created this come and see, come and consume, and it's never about doing what Jesus plainly says as his last words as he's getting ready to ascend to heaven. So we're not consumers, but we're also not competitors looking to compare with other churches down the street or in the community. Now, In a consumer-driven culture, churches are constantly competing with one another. Now, nobody will admit it, right? I mean, you go talk to other churches, the first thing out, everybody's man, man, we're not competing with you, or we're not competing. But in a sense, we are competing, because everybody has to have a better whatever. Uh, When we uh, planted a church... Several years ago in Whiteville, Tennessee, in Hardeman County, I would have people call me sometimes, and 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 I knew the people that called. I knew their kind of their mentality. I knew their attitude behind things, and they would call and they would say things like, "Hey, how many people are you running?" And I just like sarcasm. I mean, so I would always go one, and they would say, "Well." What do you mean by one? I said, we literally have one person running in the church. She runs in marathons. Because that's what they would ask. And I'm like, really, what you want to know is if my church has more people coming than your church. And then if my church has more people coming than your church, the next question is, man, what are you doing to get all the people? And I would just always simply say, man, we're meeting in a ragged-out, stinky warehouse Everything in it's been given to us. We're just literally loving people and preaching the Word. Because there is nothing to sub- that can substitute just love and the Word of God. It'll draw people every time. You don't have to do anything else. But we find ourselves in this kind of dangerous cycle of comparison. For instance, just hypothetical. Church A versus Church B. Somebody leaves Church A, comes to Church B. And as they join Church B, all they talk about is Church A and how wonderful Church A was. Our pastor was a great communicator, had a book deal, got a podcast. Worship team has uh, professional musicians. Our children's area has a rock wall, and we have full-time coffee people and all that. And they're constantly comparing their new Church B to their old Church A. And I simply just want to go, go back to Church A. I know that may sound tough, but I mean, why are we always in the church competing? Because here's the thing. Jesus simply said, go make disciples. And yet we are tempted to do everything except what Jesus told us to do. Do you know that in Scripture, and all of these things are good, but do you know that in Scripture Jesus never said start a Sunday school? Jesus never said, organize a conference. He never said, go build seminaries. He never told us to start conventions. But you know what he did say? He said very plainly to go and make disciples. And I've learned this over the years. If you want to see unity in the church and you want to see unity in the community, this is what you do. You go make disciples because when people are being saved and being baptized and people are being changed, there is no time for complaint or criticism or anything. We just celebrate. But whenever you sit idle and whenever you're not doing what Jesus commanded us to do, we have a tendency to look around the room and go, Man, that was bad. Man, that was no good. Man, that person didn't talk to me this morning or I didn't like what he said. But when people are actively making disciples, instead of looking around, seeing what's not good, we're celebrating what is good, and that is people coming to Jesus. So what we are is we are a community that should be compassionate about advancing the kingdom. In this room, there's ordinary, everyday, messed up by sin, spared by grace, drawn by love, and saved because of Jesus Christ. And God has entrusted us to go and make disciples. So how do we do that? One thing we can't do is we cannot separate biblical community and biblical mission. Uh, we have a tendency in the church to compartmentalize it. It's like fellowship's over here, missions are, is over there, uh, ministry's out here. But you can't really separate. And the best way to live out any of them is to do them in the same context. I'll give you an example of that. The first time we ever went into the jungle of Ecuador, we had four guys from here. We were traveling with David Perano, who we had only known a year. We met another guy named Washington that led us into the jungle that we only met when we landed in Quito. And along the way, we picked up four guys we had never met. And we had our friend Joe, who we had only known for a short time. So you had, I believe it was 11 of us to begin with. And we embark on this journey out into the jungle of Ecuador, into a very remote place. And so for 10 days, we spent 24 hours, seven days a week together, and we were talking about Jesus, we were sharing our life experiences with one another, and we literally was having community in the middle of mission. And what's great about that is those guys, there was a bond that was created in September of 2013 that still thrives today because of what God did, why we were on mission together. And we wonder sometimes why we don't feel connected and brought together and loved in the church. It's because we're not doing mission together, creating community. And so we cannot separate the two and Paul tells the church at Thessalonica, he says this, We cared so much for you that we were pleased to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives. Why? Because you became so dear to us. So we share a life in Christ, but then we multiply the life of Christ. Because Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 2:2. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men, discipleship, who will be able to teach others, multiplication. So if I pour into one person, that person pours into another as I pour into another, and it's just a multiplication. It's God's design For the church and for the kingdom of God. And everybody in this room who has been saved, who claims Jesus is Lord and Savior, you have a responsibility to make disciples. And so Matthew 28, 16, 20, just some observations. In verse 16, it says, The eleven disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. They were together. They shared a life together, and so when Jesus appointed them, they didn't all randomly show up at different times. They went together. And then he he says, and when they saw him, they worshipped him. And some doubted. So not only were they together in fellowship, they were worshipping Jesus. We've covered those two things just in the last few weeks, worship and then fellowship. And then it says that they... He spoke to them saying, and then he he lays out uh, the great commission. All authority has been given to me, all power, not some power. Jesus didn't leave here with limited power. He left here with all power and all authority. And he tells them on the heels of saying, I have all power and authority. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. And I love it because when you begin to kind of break down this passage Man, it it becomes really clear uh, what he says. He says, Go, therefore, make disciples. Now, a lot of people, I know people who who say go is the imperative, but it's not. Uh, The imperative here is make disciples. It's actually one Greek word, it's not two. And the Greek word is mathetevo, which means be a disciple. So you're sitting there, Jesus, you've been following him for three and a half years. He comes up to you and he says, Go therefore and be a disciple. Well, what he's saying is, is in those days, if you were a disciple, it was understood that you were going to make disciples. It wasn't this idea that, oh, I got my ticket to heaven. I'm going to sit down in the proverbial recliner, kick back and relax until Jesus comes and takes me home. No, they knew that when they became a disciple, they were actively making disciples. And so he tells them to go. And the word go is a a verb that means as you make disciples. So you have to be going in order to make disciples. So what that means is, you can't sit still and make disciples. You can't live in your Christian bubble and make disciples. You can't think that discipleship is about paid professionals or the come and see mentality. The impact of making disciples means that in your everyday life, God has designed it, that you have gospel intentionality intersecting with your life. And so you make disciples. It would be like saying, hey, let's go and catch fish. And never leave the couch. Can I tell you, you're not going to walk outside and all of a sudden there's this cooler full of fish. The imperative is that you got to catch fish, but in order to catch fish, you got to go. So as you're going, you're going to catch fish. It's really simple to put. And here's the thing, is making disciples is what He has commanded us to do. And it should be that it's a privilege. So just real quick, four things that simply this passage, I think, tells us. One is we are compelled to make disciples of Christ. Listen to me. Never allow this to become normal or routine, or mundane. Jesus died for you. Right? I mean, Jesus literally came, bled, and died to take on our sins so that we could spend eternity with him in heaven. And I'm afraid that the church has got so used to hearing that that we forgot that the man literally came and suffered so that we could live. And it doesn't need to become normal. It's not every day somebody comes out of heaven, born of a virgin, walks on the earth perfect, and dies for you. It's amazing, but yet we so often kind of treat it as like, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, man, we're, it's just he came and I'm going to heaven. But I love what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5.14. He says, for the love of God compels us, Because we judge that if one died for all, then all were dead. And Paul uses this word, compel, to describe his motivation as you read on down to be a minister of reconciliation, which is making disciples. And so he says, man, it it compels me. And And the word is more than just this idea of, oh yeah, I'm compelled to go. It literally means that the love of God or the love of Christ has seized me. The love of Christ completely dominates me or the love of Christ overwhelms me. So the verse could literally be read is for the love of God seizes me or the love of God completely dominates me. And so for the disciples, I want you to think about this. Their love for Christ drove them to missions. I mean, think about it. Part of the Great Commission it's simply Jesus telling them in Acts 1-8, you will be my martyrs, right? He says, you'll be my witnesses, which means martyrs. And so, so he's telling them that, hey, guys, I know you follow me, and I know I've done some amazing things, and I'm fixing to go back to heaven, and I just want to let you know, I want you to go make disciples, but every one of you will be martyrs in the process. And they said, man, I don't know if I can do that. No, you know what they did? They counted the cost, and they came to the conclusion that he was worth it. They came to the conclusion that he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And so they went forth because he was worth it. Let me ask you a question this morning. Are you overwhelmed by the love of Christ? Are you so overwhelmed by the love of Christ that it thrusts you forward in making disciples? Do you love him so much that you're willing to possibly be scarred for his mission? I mean, I don't want to make light of this by no means, but this whole baby shortage, of baby formula shortage, I mean, I want you to think about this. I mean, people have made it their mission to go and find baby formula for babies. And I get it, man. We want them to have their, their food. We want them to be healthy. And they have been compelled, in a sense, to go and find baby formula for, for families. And I think it's one of the neatest things to watch people get a hold to something like that and decide, man, this is what I want to do. People are compelled to go and find that. But can I ask you a question? Are we so seized by the love of God that we'll do whatever it takes and whatever it costs to go and make disciples? Because really, making disciples is absolutely the overflow of the delight in being His disciple. So we're compelled to go make disciples, but then we are committed to, to make disciples in the church. Now, I want you to entertain me for a second. I am no scientist, and you really have never accused me of that. But in my research this week, as I was just kind of studying, I came across Isaac Newton's law of motion, and I was absolutely kind of stunned at it because he says in the first law of motion that an object at rest tends to stay at rest Unless a force acts upon it. And I was sitting there and I was like, man, that is the greatest definition of the 21st century church I've ever heard. We have literally fallen asleep in our comfort. There is an old hymn that says, I shall not be, I shall not be moved, and it has become the anthem of most churches in America. And so I was just thinking, I was like, man, I don't want to be that person. I don't want to get so comfortable and so sitting in my recliner, which I will tell you, I've said that word twice. I, we used to go to a church when I was younger. Uh, my dad and them, we would go and we would sing in a lot of churches. And we would go to this one particular church where one of the men in the church had a recliner at the front. His family had given all the money to the church, and he just decided he didn't want to sit in the pew, so he had a recliner brought in, and he would literally recline while you were having church. Now, we can say, man, that's kind of odd, but really, metaphorically speaking, most church members have reclined. Most church members are sitting back, going, man, you know what? I'm not going to move. But here's what I love is that God has a way to move us. And we should be excited about this idea of making disciples. So how, how does this force work? How do, how do we move? Well, one, we have to be motivated by love. You've got to love God, number one. You've got to have this deep, true love for Him. Not just loving Him because He saved you, loving Him because of who He is. And the fact that He didn't have to do what He did for us. So we, we have a love for God, and in that love for God, we have a love for others. And so our love for God should move us for His glory. But then our love for others should move us with the gospel. Now, we throw the word gospel around a lot. It's like, yeah, you know, man, the gospel. But let me ask you a question. How many times... Over the last month, have you literally shared the gospel with somebody? It's one thing to say the gospel, the gospel, the gospel, but are you sharing that gospel? I I told Brother Ken other day, he and I were talking about our messages, and I go, it's just amazing to me that Jesus is good enough for me, but so often act like he's not good enough for everybody else. Because if I love him because he first loved me, then I should love others enough to go to them and share the gospel with them. So I have to be motivated by love. But then we are moved with initiative. It takes everyone growing as disciples and giving their life to make disciples. We tell the staff, we tell people often that we talk to, is there's, there's three people you should echo in the Bible and the New Testament when it comes to disciple-making. You should be a Paul. You should have somebody or some people that you are actively discipling. I've heard it this way, that you jump into the race, and, and, and imagine the race of, in the Christian walk is a marathon, and you're running around. You should be running so Hard toward Jesus that it creates a vacuum and it'll just bring people into your life that you can disciple. And so everybody should be a Paul. But then everybody should be a Timothy. Because I don't care how far you are in the walk with the Lord, there is never a time that you don't need to be discipled yourself. My grandfather died at 86 years old. taught Sunday school for 60 years. And he read the Bible through many times And right before he died, not long before he died, I had a conversation with him, and he told me, he said, you know what, Matthew? He said, out of all the years that I've studied this Bible, there is still so much I don't know. And we should never get to the point to where we believe we are far enough along that we do not need to be discipled. And then everybody needs to be and needs this in their life. Everybody needs a Barnabas and be a Barnabas. Barnabas' name means son of encouragement, and he was an encourager to Paul. So we need to echo that in our life. We need to be moved with this initiative that we want to see people grow in the Lord because God has always been about forming a gospel people for a gospel mission. John MacArthur says this, Christian discipleship is a decision to walk in his ways steadily and firmly, And then finding that that way integrates all our interests, passion, and gifts in our human needs and eternal aspirations. It is the life that we were created for. So we have to move with initiative, but then we have to be marked with intention. Discipleship is intentional. It's not passive. You have to be actively doing it. Robert Gallaty says when the church, and this is a very, very strong statement, When the church becomes an end in itself, it ends. When Sunday school, as great as it is, becomes an end in itself, it ends. When small group ministry becomes an end in itself, it ends. When the worship service becomes an end in itself, it ends. What we need is for discipleship to become the goal. And then the process never ends. The process is fluid. It is moving. It is active. It is a living thing. It must continue to go on. Every disciple must make Disciples. In Acts chapter 8, Philip is in a revival service actually, and the Holy Spirit comes to him and says, Hey, I want you to leave this service and I want you to, to go down. There, there's a man that I need you to go to. And so Philip leaves, he shows up. You know the story. Uh, the Ethiopian eunuch is there. He has brought the queen to, to, to the Jerusalem to worship, or where, I forgot exactly where she was, but he brought her there to worship. And the Bible says that he is sitting in the chariot. He's reading the Word, and Philip sees him. Right? Now, Philip didn't wait for the guy to flag him down. It's like, hey, hey, come here. He didn't wait to go through the latest disciple-making class or read the latest book. The Bible simply says in Acts chapter 8 that Philip ran to him. Philip, Philip didn't wait on him. Philip saw him reading the scroll and he ran to him and he asked him the question. He says, Hey, what, what's going on? And he says, Well, I'm, I'm reading th- this book. And he, and he says, Do you understand? And Philip says, And the guy told Philip, says, Well, how can I unless somebody tells me? So what does Philip do? Philip didn't say, Hey, go to that church down the road and go to their latest Connect class and then go sit in the service, and you'll hear a message. No, it says that Philip got in the chariot with him and began to expound Isaiah 53 to him, so much so that the Holy Spirit came upon the guy, convicted him, and he was like, what do I have to do to be baptized? So we have to be marked with intention around here. We can't wait on people to come in and go, please disciple me. Please tell me about Jesus. No, we have to quit coming and start going and making disciples. The church of God has the power of God and the message from God to go for God into all the world and make disciples of God. You lack nothing. If you've been saved, you lack nothing. Third thing is, we're commissioned to make disciples in the community. If our view of discipleship is making disciples among one another, if it's making disciples of our own families or those people that we're more like, comfortable, and all that, if that's our idea of making disciples, we're missing the point of the Great Commission. Because in Acts eight he says, hey, you're going to start Jerusalem, you're going to go to Judea, and you're going to go to Samaria and the uttermost parts of the world. That pretty much covers it. It doesn't mean that I'm going to be discipling people that look like me. Charles Spurgeon says this, it is the whole job of the whole church to preach the whole gospel to the whole world. And we must start in our children's ministry. Early on, we need to be teaching our children how to serve. And then as it carries on and they move into the student ministry, students should already be equipped in, in learning how to make disciples. And then as they grow into young adults, they're in the active process of making disciples. They're inviting people over to their homes with the intention of being able to build relationships and share the gospel. And then the more mature people need to be pouring into the younger people and sharpening each other's iron. From day one all the way up until they leave here, we should have a disciple-making plan in this church. That everybody that comes through the doors, whether they're young or old, is in the process of being discipled and making disciples. The entire WCC family should be active in making disciples. The reality is we can't afford to wait. Every day we wait is another opportunity passed and possibly another soul that goes into an eternal hell. So we have to start by sharing the gospel and then not leaving them but building them. Whenever we go into the jungle, we share the gospel with people. But then we connect them with people and have people go back into the jungle to disciple them, and then we had finally started, after we had been a few times, started building the relationships where every time we went to Ecuador twice a year, we would always visit those communities and spend time with them, teaching them and sharing with them the Word of God. It doesn't matter. You have to be willing to get into the process. We can't afford to wait. And I just believe this, if Warren Community Church deeply loves Fayette County, and everyone in this body would embody the mission of making disciples, we could see a move in Fayette County like no one has ever seen before. I mean, we really could. And we have to think of it this way. How how many of you, when you were little, ever had the day where you went to work with your dad? Or maybe dad was doing some kind of project at home and you just wanted to be a part of it? I remember when I was 10 years old, my dad added a uh, living room onto the house that I grew up in, and my brother is four years older than me, and so they were out there nailing down the subfloor, and I wanted so bad to be out there doing that, I wanted to be with my dad, and, and, and finally he looks at me, and he says, well, come on out here, and he gives me a hammer, and he gives me nails, he showed me how to do it. Man, I was trying my best, I'd miss the nail, I was bending the nail, I was just really making a mess of things. And I just remember my dad coming over to me, and he leaned down. He didn't say, get out of here, son, you messed up. He took his hand, and he put his hand on my hand. And he held that nail, and he was driving that nail with me. And I could feel the pressure of him doing it. And I knew it was him doing it, but he didn't say, oh, look at me. He said, we can do this. And I tell you that because, one... My dad is my hero. I, I just wanted to be with him. But then I get to thinking about that and just think about it. God speaks the same idea. It is his mission. It is his work. And God himself extends an invitation to you and me to go to work with our dad. He's doing the work. We get to be participants And this should motivate everybody in the room to go make disciples because we are with Him. Lo, I am with you always. You want to be with God? Get in the mission. Get in it. Make disciples. Number four, we are called to make disciples as Christians. Discipleship is not an option. Jesus says that anyone who follows me or comes after me must follow me. No one is excluded. Francis Chan says that we reduce discipleship to a canned program. And so many in the church end up sidelined in a spectator mentality that delegates disciple-making to pastors and professionals, ministers, and missionaries. And here's the truth. If you don't hear anything else I say today, please just pay attention to this right here. You are making disciples, whether you know it or not. You have your family, you have your friends, you have coworkers that are watching you. And, and you may be making disciples of pleasure, you might be making disciples of hobbies, disciples of money, disciples of work. You may be making disciples of fear, you might be making disciples of gossip, you might be making disciples of, of people who just don't ever that, that's negative, but you are making disciples. I mean, it's just the way it is. And then I have conversations sometimes with people, especially when I was in student ministry. You have parents come up and say, man, I just don't understand why my child is not coming to church. I don't understand why they're not involved in church. And I would say this as "As much love as I could. It's because you've discipled them not to. When mom and dad drop children often don't come themselves, you are teaching your kids that it ain't important. When mom and dad's not actively participating in the things that are going on in the body of Christ where they belong, you are telling your children that it's not that important. And you are discipling them not to do and follow Christ. But as Christians, we are called to go therefore and make disciples. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, A righteous man is one who lives for the next generation. So a question. How many disciples have you made? And how many disciples are you actively making? Because from the beginning, when he talked to those men, he said, you will now be fishers of men. It's not about being baptized and staying in one location For the rest of our lives, it is about going into the world and making disciples. You are called by God to reproduce yourself. Now, let me say this, as much love as I can. If you don't have an intimate relationship with the Lord yourself, don't multiply you. The first thing you have to do is you got to be willing to get serious with God yourself. And you have a devotion to Him that's worth reproducing. But regardless, we're called to reproduce. So how does this work? Real quickly, I'm going to say this. How, how can we most effectively make disciples here at Warren Community Church? Well, one, we have community groups. We have groups, and Ms. Linda Barton is now leading, and we're going to be kicking back off in September. And man, we want to see everybody in the church a part of those community groups. You're like, well, man, why? Because that's where you share life together. Listen, coming in here on Sunday mornings for an hour and a half is not sharing life together. That's coming to worship. Sharing life together is when you are literally in it together. That the good times, the bad times, you're sharing meals together, you're studying the Word together, you're texting one another. We want everybody to be part of a community group. God did not save you to be a Lone Ranger. So community groups, connect groups. If you want a deeper Bible study, come to Sunday school, or what we call connect groups. We have Bible studies and outreach. There's, There's no reason for us not to be participating Adrian and I have been working over the last few weeks, and we just signed on a partnership with Miss South Food Bank. So starting in August here at the church, we're going to have a mobile food pantry where once a month people are going to come through. And I know some people are going, well, that's more missions than discipleship. It has to start. They don't, they're not separated. They're together. But we're going to have a chance to feed up to like 300 families Every month, do you know how awesome that is to be able to serve those families and share the gospel with them, build relationships with them? And through that, we're like, man, you know what we need to do? We need to have a Thanksgiving meal here for the community and just love on people. Our ideas, I mean, we got a lot of things at work, so you can be a part. We just signed on a partnership with Calvary Rescue Mission where every 5th Sunday, We're going down to Calvary Rescue Mission in Memphis and serving them, worshiping with them, and teaching them the Word of God. You can serve in the children's ministry, student ministry, young adult ministry. There are plenty of ways to be a disciple and be discipled here at Warren. You just have to actively participate. You do not have to just come and go. But then ask the question to yourself, how am I going to make disciples with my life? Because we are called to. Here's the thing. Without God, we cannot. But without us, God will not. If you are not willing to make disciple, God's just not going to miraculously throw somebody in your lap. You've got to be willing. You must be active. And here's the thing. Just in this part right here of Matthew, you have the presence of God. You have the pat- plan of God. You have the power of God, you have the purpose of God, and you have the promise of God. So I would say obey the mission, proclaim the message, offer them a response, and see the result. Do we care enough about people to go and make disciples? And then know that these are the moments that Jesus is the closest to you, because what does He say? He says, go make disciples of all nations, right? Baptizing them. He makes it real simple. He gives us instructions. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them. So we don't just evangelize them and leave them. We bring them along and teach them. To observe what? All the things that I've commanded you. That means teach them the Word of God. And then he says this. And lo, he says, pay attention. I am with you always, even until the end of the age. You want a closer presence with the Lord? Make disciples. You want a more intimate relationship with Jesus? Make disciples. Because he promised to be with us when we go. Make disciples. And that's what I just want to tell you today this is a privilege. It's an absolute honor. And I have found in my life there's no more joy than just to come along beside someone and make disciples. God has given me a great privilege to have discipled a lot of people. But then God has put people in my life and constantly working and discipling me because I don't ever want to get to the place where I think, oh, I got it. What a privilege. And Warren, if we really want to make a difference in this community, we cannot have a consumer mentality. We have to come and actively have goals of making disciples. Programs of themselves are no more than a waste of resources if we're not making disciples. And that be the goal. And so this morning, I just want you to think about it. Ask yourself the question, am I, Making disciples that make disciples. And if you're like, man, I just don't know how to do it, come see me. Come see Brother Ken. Go talk to Miss Linda. There's people in here that have actively done that and are actively doing it. Come ask some questions. But listen, there's nothing more amazing you can do is just be with people, just live life with them. Make disciples. And then here this morning, you may go, man, it all sounds good, but I haven't even come across the first part yet. Because here's another reality. If you're not a disciple, you can't make them. So if you're in a day and you're lost, and you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, I would invite you today to come and simply just say, Lord, I, I want to put my trust in you. Because the thing is, is He's here. Arms stretch wide. So I want you to just research your heart. One, is, do you even care? I mean, really. Two, what can I do to make somebody's life, make it, make it grow in the Lord? It's dirty. It's time-consuming. And sometimes it's downright discouraging. But on the flip side, it's the greatest thing you will ever do in investing in eternity is go, therefore, and make disciples. Let's pray. Father, I come to you this morning. God, I'm thankful that you have given us this amazing opportunity. God, you have called us and commissioned us commanded us to go and make disciples. And God, I don't want it to just be words. But God, let it be part of the DNA of Warren Community Church. God, that everybody in Warren makes disciples who make disciples. Starting at home in your families And just in the context of life. But God, let us be active. God, help us to be seized by your love. That we love you so much that we know that every time we do this, it glorifies your name. But also that we love others enough that we want to see them grow in you. And so God, we're just asking you to do in this room this morning what you alone can do. And that is, God, arrest our hearts and interrogate our hearts with the Holy Spirit so that we walk out of here today different than we walked in. God, with everything we have, that we make disciples. And Lord, we will praise you uh, in all of this. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, you can stand this morning, and if you need to come for any reason, uh, I invite you to come.